Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Quite a wonderful job. They've been working on that for, um, I think, since October, if I'm not mistaken. So while y'all were trick-or-treating, they were singing Christmas songs. Um, so, but wonderful job. Um, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. We are... Um, Coming to the end of our time talking about reasons Jesus was born, um, we will conclude this completely the night of Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve service will be 6 p.m. Saturday, Friday night. Friday night is Christmas Eve, um, and so um, be here. Then we will talk about Jesus was born to save sinners. Um, I, I, I invite some people you know to that service who don't know Jesus, um, because I'm going to very clearly just lay out the gospel for them in, in regards to how he came at Christmas and then died at Good Friday and was raised at Easter um, to save us. And so bring people you don't know, or pe- people who don't know Jesus to that service. Um, you know, Christmas seems so normal to us that we often forget how crazy it is. In the excitement of Christmas trees and lights and gifts and hot chocolate and family photos and, you know, marathons of Home Alone and, you know, Christmas Vacation at Elf, we forget just how crazy what we celebrate at Christmas is. God became a man. The holy God who does not need mankind and owes mankind nothing came and dwelt among mankind. God becomes completely human in every way except that he did not sin. He is born, he grows up, he learns to walk and talk, he learns to eat, he sleeps, he shaves, takes a bath, he works, he sweats, he uses the restroom. I mean, he's, he's like us in every way, except he did not send. sin. And he did all of this for so many reasons. We've looked at a lot of those this Christmas season. He came to save us. He came to dwell among us. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to serve. He came to fulfill the law. He came to reign as king. All of these pointing to that reason we'll talk about Friday night, to save sinners. In view of all of that, what can we do but worship him? Our Christmas carols speak of that so well. Come, let us adore him. Fall on your knees. All hear the angels' voices. Jesus came for all these reasons we've looked at this month, and he came to be worshipped. And so let's look at how that plays out. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. 
Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is a classic Christmas story, although it probably didn't happen at the birth of Christ. Um, Jesus has probably been born around a year at the point when the wise men come. Um, Mary and Joseph are no longer in the in the barn in the manger; that they're they're in a house that they've they've taken up residence in Bethlehem. Um, the The wise men come. We don't know how many there were. Um, we 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 say there's three, uh, primarily because um, they bring three gifts. But for all we know, there were twenty of them. Um, but they bring three gifts when they come. We call them magi. Um, the the word. Um, means something like magician, something like um, astrologer. Um, they're not kings. We often assume they're kings. We have Christmas songs, We Three Kings of Orient, that they're not kings, um, that they're much more like astrologers. They study the stars and they look for messages within those stars. God uses that very thing to begin to draw them to himself. He sends them a star. They were likely pagan, they're Gentiles from the east. That means they, they, they likely didn't worship the God of the Bible. If they worshipped at all, they worshipped multiple gods. They looked to the stars to find purpose in life. Let this be a great comfort to you. No matter how far from God your loved ones seem, they're not out of the sovereign reach of God's hand. God doesn't send the wise men to a revival down the road to get them to come to faith. He sends them a star because they're looking to the stars. They're Gentiles. If you know Jew versus Gentile in the Bible, Jews hated the Gentiles. Jews were God's chosen people, and they tended to look down on the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not God's chosen people. So by nature, most most Jews didn't have a very high view of the Gentiles, who were not covenant people of God. Thus, they wanted Gentiles just to be destroyed and go to hell. Let me just remind you, Gentiles are all in the world who are not Jewish. The Amorites, the Amalekites, the Ninevites, the Romans, the Greeks, the Chinese, the Japanese, the Egyptians, the Nigerians, the Brazilians, the Mexicans, and yes, the Americans were the Gentiles. If the Jewish people of the day had had their way, we would be on the path to hell with no hope and no salvation. But that all changed 
when the sovereign God put a star in the sky for some wise men to go find the king who'd been born. For this king is the savior, not just of the Jewish people, he's the savior of the whole world. This, of course, means he must be worshipped. So the wise men follow the star, going to worship him. They come to Jerusalem, and they come to a king, but it's not the king they're looking for. They come to Herod, the king. Jerusalem was where Herod, the king, would have been. That's where he was stationed. He was technically a Jew, but he was a king placed on the throne by the Romans. The Romans ruled the land. So they, what they would do, um, they didn't have you know, telephones back then. They didn't have the internet or broadcast news. So they got to keep up with what's going on in every region. So they placed their own little kings in those regions to kind of govern in their name. Herod is placed on the throne by the Romans to, to rule Jerusalem. Herod was a horrible king. He was just a horrible, horrible king. He held on to his power so tightly. If you questioned his throne in any way, you probably wouldn't live to see the next day. History actually reports that um, he, he had his wife and two of his brothers killed because he suspected treason from them. Didn't have anything to go on, no evidence. He was just a paranoid guy. He suspected treason, so he had him killed. The wise men come to Herod. They make an announcement. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? And Herod is thinking, well, I'm, a Jew. I'm the king of the Jews, but I wasn't born king of the Jews. I was placed in office after I was born, so they must be referring to somebody else. What does that mean? That means there's a challenger to Herod's throne. And what does he do to people who challenge his throne? He kills them. That's what he does. The right response to hearing that the king is born is to rejoice the Jewish people have been longing for their Messiah for generations. They want their Savior to come deliver them. And the announcement comes, the Messiah is born. And how does Herod, and how does the whole city respond? Look at verse 3. They were, he, Herod was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Troubled. The whole city does not rejoice that the Messiah is born. They're troubled. It's good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The city of Jerusalem and King Herod are troubled. Why are they troubled? Why would you be troubled at the announcement that the Messiah is born? The fact is, the Messiah is the king of the universe. And if he's been born and he's about to take throne, what's that mean? That means you're going to have to change. That means you're going to have to change. You're going to, not, you're going to lose the authority over your own life. It means you no longer get to be the king. I ask you, is that how you live your life, that you're the king? You're the king, and you're going to do what you want. Nobody's going to tell you how to live your life. If, if they're going to tell you how to live your life, they need to get out of the way. If that's you, you're not far from having a Herod complex. Herod identifies with the Jewish people, but he didn't want the Jewish God. He identifies with the Jewish people, but he didn't want the Jewish God. I wonder, does that sound like you? You identify with God's people, but you don't worship Christ. You know, you'll tell people, uh, you know, I go to Mount Zion Baptist Church, but you go an entire year without even mentioning the name of Jesus. This is the Sunday before Christmas. Um, the term for some people in America has been deemed CEO Christians. That is Christmas and Easter only. Are you a CEO Christian? That is, you show up a couple times a year hoping that it's going to keep God happy with you. 
which is such a naive view of God of, uh, okay, I, I see they're not really living their life for, for me, but Holy Spirit, they just showed up for Christmas and Easter. Oh, just mark their name off the naughty list. They're good. You, you may identify with the church. You may even call yourself a Christian, but you call yourself a Christian because you're an American or you're a Republican or your grandma was faithful to church or you try to be a good person every day in your life or you believe generally there's a God you believe in Jesus, but about the same way you believe in Shakespeare, he's a historical figure that really has nothing to do with your life, you're not far off from having a Herod complex. The king born is going to be different than Herod, different king than Herod. Verse 5, actually verse 6, he's going to shepherd the people of Israel. He's going to shepherd them. Jesus is a shepherd king. It's the theme of the entire Bible. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Revelation 7, he will be their shepherd forever. The lamb in their midst will be their shepherd. He's a much better king than Herod. This is why the wise men don't come looking for Herod to worship. Herod's not worthy. Jesus is worthy. Herod is trying to get everyone to worship him. Look how awesome I am. Jesus lays aside his heavenly glory and becomes a baby in a manger so that he might save his people. He doesn't have to tell people, come worship me. It's the natural response to seeing his beauty. So Herod gives the wise men a plan. All right, go to Bethlehem. Find the king for me. Bethlehem's a small town. Shouldn't be hard to find. Uh, they, have a, they have a stoplight and a dollar general. That's it. It's a small town. Go find the king. Go find him. He says, I want to come worship him too. It, he's a liar. He's just a snake. He's a liar. You haven't worshipped God your entire life, you fool. You're not going to worship him. You're going to do exactly what you have always done. The only person you have ever worshipped is yourself. The fact is, he's not a worshipper. Herod has himself on the throne of his life, on the throne of his heart. From his perspective, he's the one who deserves all glory, laud, and honor. If you try and take that from him, you deserve to be killed. So ask yourself the question this morning, what's on the throne of your heart? Is it Jesus? Is it yourself? Is it something else? You want to know what it is, just check your life and see the fruit that your life bears and that'll tell you what's on the throne of your heart. Herod has himself on the throne of his heart. He has no intention of worshiping Jesus. He has every intention of killing Jesus. He know, we know that because of what happens after this passage. I'm not going to read it today, but verses 12 through 18, read it later. Herod essentially recreates what Pharaoh did in Exodus with Moses. He kills every child in Bethlehem under the age of two. If there's any question how nasty this guy is, he sends soldiers into the homes of every person in Bethlehem to slaughter two-year-olds. That's how bad this guy is. Many scholars have commented how this was anything but a silent night where all was calm and all was bright. But he doesn't get Jesus because the angel warns Joseph and Mary, get him out of there. Herod um, dies after this. The text doesn't tell us how he died when you read verses 12 through 18. Um, it doesn't tell him how he died, but history tells us how Herod the Great died. Herod, shortly after this event, developed a kidney disease. Um, along with that, he developed 
this might this may gross you out, but it's history, y'all. Um, he, he developed a very rare infection where he got maggot-infested gangrene on a particular part of your body. You don't want that below your belt line. He got exactly what he deserved. If you worship yourself as Herod did, you don't get glory and honor. You get a nasty death and a terrible legacy, and that's exactly what he got. He's the opposite of what worship looks like. What does worship look like? We see it in the wise men, verses 9 through 12. We see what the wise men do. They go to Jesus, and they respond to Jesus exactly how you're supposed to respond to him, and the exact opposite of how Herod responded to him. The star leads them to Bethlehem. They go in. They see Jesus and Mary. Joseph is there too, but, but he's not mentioned there. They see Jesus and Mary, and they do three things which is what it looks like to worship Jesus, and it's the foil, the exact opposite of Herod. First, they rejoice. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The wise men rejoice with exceedingly great joy. They are the first people in the story to be joyful about Jesus. Jerusalem and Herod were both troubled about him. Those guys gritted their teeth that Jesus was born. The wise men rejoice. They're so excited. The king is born. Those who dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. Emmanuel has come. As my favorite Christmas carol cries out, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to you, O Israel. There's hope. There's salvation. God has not turned his back on the world. Have you heard a lot of bad news lately? You've seen enough headlines and articles on Facebook about how how much the world's messed up? I bring you good tidings of great joy this morning. The Son of God has been born. Rejoice. Rejoice. This is not the end of history. The eternal God has brought us into his story. We don't have to weep. We don't have to snarl. We don't have to be a grouch. Joy has dawned. They rejoice. Verse verse 11, first part of verse 11, they bow before him. Overwhelmed by joy, they fall down and worship him. They bow before Jesus. Herod did not bow before Jesus. He bowed before himself. The wise men see Jesus and they fall on their face. Think about the nature of bowing. It's submitting your life to someone. It's telling what you bow to. My life is in your hands. I surrender to your will. Speak. Your servant is listening. This is what Herod refused to do. And this is what many today refuse to do. Our age thinks of the self as the supreme being. You need to live your truth. Your truth triumphs everything else. No, truth is not subjective. You can't make whatever you want to be true. God establishes truth. You will either bow before his truth or you will live a life of falsehood. Will you bow your life before him this morning? He's the sovereign king ruling over all things. He's the shepherd king, meaning he will care for you like a shepherd cares for his sheep. But if you will not bow your life before him, you will know nothing but despair. He's not a king like Herod. He doesn't murder you for for not submitting to him. You do that to yourself. He's the God of life. If you refuse to place your life in his hands, you, you remain in death's grip. Christ is gentle and lowly of heart. He does not want despair for you, but you will only find joy in his kingdom, not outside of it. If you choose by your own arrogance to try and live outside of God's will, you will know nothing but despair. 
So they rejoice, they bow before him, and thirdly, they offer him gifts. Second part of verse 11, they offer him three gifts. Herod didn't want to give Jesus anything. He, waited to, he wanted to take from Jesus. He wanted to take the life Jesus had. You, you probably have never desired to kill Jesus like Herod, but do you live like Herod? Do you have a Herod complex? Do you see Jesus as existing simply for the purpose of making your life better? He's there to make sure you have happiness and good health. He's there to make your life you know, wonderful. He's there to, keep you, to get you out of trouble when you get into it. Can't you see you have a Herod complex? You, you don't want to give Jesus anything. You want Jesus to, to give you stuff. You're only interested in him as far as he can serve you. Perhaps you think the gifts they give him are weird. Um, there's a Christian comedian named Tim Hawkins who, um, he, he has a joke. I have to give him credit because I didn't come up with this. But um, he has a joke about the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? You know that Christmas song? A child, a child. Shivers in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold. How about a blanket? How about some soup? He's shivering in the cold. Throw some gold on him, he'll be okay. He's got pneumonia, but he's loaded. Why are these the three gifts they bring? Because these are not what you give a baby at a baby shower here at Mount Zion. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why is this what they bring? I mean, gold may be financial help, but frankincense... Uh, that, that was used in the, in the temple by priests to worship, and so it's offered up to God in the temple. So basically, um, these wise men are serving as priests, bringing frankincense and offering it to God. But wait, there's myrrh. I thought I would get a laugh out of that, but okay. Essentially, myrrh is embalming fluid. It's embalming fluid. That's what myrrh is. It's what they anointed dead bodies with. How's that for a baby shower? Congrats on the birth of your baby. Here's some embalming fluid. Have fun. We can note several things about these gifts. First, they're of high value. These are not bought at the goodwill and given to the child. They're expensive things. It would have cost the wise men a lot of money to buy these gifts. Probably a big sacrifice considering their career is staring at stars for a living. I don't know how much money they're making off that, but um, they offered Jesus their best, not their leftovers. That's what true worship is. If you give God your leftovers, you're not worshiping. Second, these gifts have associations with various aspects of who Jesus was or who he was going to be. Gold, of course, is royalty. He's the king. It's, it's the most valuable of gifts that they can give to the king. Frankincense to his deity. Frankincense was offered in the temple to God. Not only that, Jesus is going to be the high priest. He's going to be the high priest, the great high priest who takes the place of all the other high priests. And he's going to um, offer sacrifice of his life in worship to God. But then there's myrrh. Frankincense referring to the priesthood, to the deity. Myrrh referring to the humanity. Though he was fully God, he was also fully man. So he's going to die one day. He's going to die. And myrrh is a picture of that. Myrrh represents his sacrifice he would make as Savior. He would be the king and the priest. He would also be the Savior. He's going to die the death we all deserve to save us from the curse of sin and our own death. It's really interesting what happens 30 years after this. Mark 15, 23, as Jesus is walking to Golgotha, 
They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Jesus is on his way to death, and they offer him myrrh. He was offered myrrh at his birth, and he's offered myrrh at his death. His life is bookended by myrrh. Because this child's born for sacrifice. His name was Jesus, because the name Jesus means God saves. That, that's what the name Jesus means. He would be their priest to restore connection with, to God. He would be their king who would rule over them, but he would also be their shepherd who would tend and care for them. He's the exact opposite of Herod. He wants to serve his people and give his life for them rather than killing them. He is worthy. Can you not see his beauty? So I ask you this morning, are you a worshiper of him? Do you bow before him? Does he bring you great joy and cause you to rejoice? And do you, do you think about what you can give him rather than always expecting him to give you something? Because that's the picture of what worshiping Christ is. Is that your life? This baby born at Christmas is the greatest being in all of existence. He alone is worthy of our worship. He was born for this very purpose, that he would be worshiped by all the nations. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for the king who was born. I praise you that he's worthy. Lord, I praise you that I'm not worthy because I'd be a terrible king of the universe. And I think anybody here would, would hopefully say that about themselves as well. Lord, I would rule this universe so cruelly. I'd be selfish. I'd want everything for myself. I would not care for people like a shepherd. All of this is what Jesus does, though, because none of us here are able to do it. None of us here are able to be the king. Only Jesus is, and only he is the good king. And so, Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm us with his beauty this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.